In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. I have Steve Connolly on today. He's the social media manager for the Church of Omnism. We're going to get into what that is, how he got to be here, and we're going to learn a little bit about the world of spirituality from a different point of view today. So, Steve, without any further ado, my friend, maybe you could take a moment to introduce yourself before we start talking about what it is that you're representing, my brother. All right, perfect. Thank you so much, George. Yeah, my name is Steve Connolly. Um, I'm newly with the Church of Omniism. Um, it's kind of been an interesting ride, born and raised here in Georgia, and kind of been on the psychedelic uh, movement and the molecular freedom fight for about 20 years now. Uh, just kind of finished a, a very epic tailwind with uh, my personal arts and some of the uh, more political side of the fighting for the molecular freedoms. and. Thankfully, I'm blessed to still be here on the free side of everything to kind of share these stories. And thankfully, I kind of bumped into the church of Omniism at the right time and we found the right message together. And now we're kind of working together to push out these sacramental rights for everybody in a collective bargaining sense. And, you know, just kind of keep appreciating the gifts of spirituality in the world today. Yeah, that's really well said. I, I don't really believe in coincidences. And I think that the trials and tribulations that happen to us along the way are meant to teach us different lessons. And I'm sure that you and some, some of your colleagues and the majority of people listening to this have found that some of the most difficult situations in their life have been some of the biggest learning experiences. You have a background in AI and, you know, it seems that you have embraced at some point in your life, this idea of, of the mainstream in the corporate world. But m like most of us today, it seems that, that that particular type of lifestyle is lacking in spirituality. Is that lack of spirituality something that brought you to the, to the church where you're at today or the idea of the church? I would have to say yes. It's, um, you know, with my work in the IT fields or the AI fields, you know, I'm, I'm currently under a non-disclosure agreement, so I can't go into too, too much. I can kind of say on that note, 
there's probably a reason that a lot of these chat bots sound like, you know, sarcastic little potheads sometimes, but you know, that's neither here nor there. But yes, there is a huge, huge divide that seems to have come up in between the corporate world and the personal world. I mean, I can say personally as growing up in the Bible Belt in the Southeast part of the United States that you start to see a lot when you start to deal with the spirituality side. And in spirituality, it's kind of hard to find that perfect median between the right message and the right community to do this with. You know, um, in the last couple of years of my life, I've almost done the tour to religions. I've talked with, you know, a lot of the Christian denominations. I've spoke with some people in Judaism. I've spoke with some people that are Jehovah's Witnesses. I've spoke with Taoist, Buddhist, and we all seem to be on the same level of we want something better for everybody. We can all go and we can push our faith individually. We can all try to raise money individually. And we can all go into that. I hate to use the word peeing match of sorts to see who's better. But every faith and everybody I've spoken to has kind of gotten to this new realization recently. You know, it's most of the people and most of the faiths I've talked to have all been pointing out the same things that we're all kind of seeing a big drastic change coming. And a lot of that is coming through on the psychedelic movement. And, you know, I don't think anybody in my church or any church wants to be the next Timothy Leary. I don't think we're here to tune in and drop out. It's more about the connections that we can make. So it's been an interesting little bit. And, you know, personally, I never thought my opinion would start to matter on the psychedelic front. I never intended to have that happen, but go through my own self-regimenting with certain antigens and, you know, you find yourself in interesting places. <laughs> that is really well said, you know, and I, I, when I think about the different denominations for me, and I think that this is one thing that kind of drew me to your message and the church's message is this idea of creativity and discovery. And when I think about the artwork in all the denominations, like I think about the artists, but one in particular comes to mind. And it's that, that picture ever that's so famous. Everybody knows on top of the Sistine channel where God is reaching down and he's giving the spark of life to Adam and their fingers are kind of touching like that. And if you, if you squint your eyes and you, know, you can almost see a spark right there. And if you pull back, you can kind of see God's in this brain like structure, but it's this idea of artwork. It's this idea of creativity that is that might very well be the spark of you know and i'm also reminded of the beautiful words of william blake who talks about the divine imagination and it just seems something that's so developed in some of the literature that you and the people that you're representing talk about is this divine spark of creativity maybe we could talk a little bit about what the church of what, what the church is, you can describe the title and define it and then get into what it's all about. So the church of Omniism is a newer approach to a spiritual collective. I, I mean, personally, I look at this as not necessarily a new religion, but just a new way to bring community faith together. You know, when I think of the divine and I think of spirituality and I think of the spiritual collective, I look more towards the idea that Bill Wilson put out in AA. When you're looking at the only thing that you need to acknowledge is a power greater than yourself. And that's what we're trying to embrace in the church. 
you know, we also do talk a lot about sacramental rights and, you know, anthenogenic rights. And the way that we're approaching this is a little bit different. You know, I do have some connections with people in the indigenous church and a few other churches. And, you know, we're all kind of working towards the same goal. But the issue that I've seen and a lot of people in our church have seen is when you go and you're asking for your rights individually, you keep hitting the same brick wall. But when you go and you're saying, hey, you know, this is my brother. He's in the indigenous church. This is my brother. He's in a Buddhist church. This is my brother. He's Jewish. This is my brother. He's Christian. This is my brother. And we're all brothers together. And we're all brothers and sisters in divinity. Then we're taking aside some of these issues that we've had. You know, it's at the end of the day, what I found and what I love so much about the church of Omniism is when I first ran into Mr. Allen, I first ran into some of the people in the church. You know, I'm very awkwardly Jewish, you know, it's growing up in the Bible Belt. You know, it's not the South has never been known for embracing people of Jewish, you know, backgrounds, however Jewish you may or may not be. You know, it's I will say I'm grateful to still be here. And, you know, I found a lot of support, but it's not the easiest ride to take. But when you when you speak to anybody with the church and you speak to anyone, what makes us different from everybody is we want to hear what you believe. We want to hear why that's important to you. And we want to understand because, you know, your journey and your mission and your truth is going to be different than my journey, my mission and my truth. But at the end of the day, if all human human beliefs and all human divinity can be traced to a singular creation then we're all essentially speaking the same language. We might be using different dialects. You know, it's, think about the story of the Tower of Babel. At one point, everybody was speaking the same language. Everybody was going towards the same goal. And the bigger the tower got, the more dialects, the more languages we got. And, you know, now in today's day and age, with everything being so connected, we got Web 3.0 coming out. We have BMI. We have BCI. We have the transhuman movement that's probably right around the corner. We have so many ways to connect with each other. Why should we keep building these walls of separation based on religion and spirituality? Because I have found so many things promising, so many things inspirational in almost every faith I've ever studied. And personally, I've gone through the gauntlets in my entire life since I was a child. You know, I don't want to get into too much of that because that take up months and months and months but you know i aged out of the foster care system i had some very interesting people who helped raise me through my life and i've seen everything from homemade wiccan approaches to some of the most heinous things you've ever seen done under certain evangelical faiths you know i've seen people get saved under false pretenses i've seen priests bribe foster kids who were deaf to pretend like they heard just to raise donations. And that's the kind of things that made me sick. But I've also seen some beautiful, beautiful things where people just stepped out of their way to help their fellow man. And that's kind of where we at the Church of Ominism are trying to come in. You know, we don't want to see anyone convert. We don't want to see anyone change their beliefs. We want to open up a room and a space for everyone to come together and learn because there's so many great messages with every single faith that you know it's like if you go to an ice cream shop would you not like to have a little bit of every topping on your sunday or do you just want to stick with a plain vanilla that's awesome i i would probably go with quite a few different toppings on there you know it sounds to me like <laughs> 
it sounds to me like I love the idea of getting to see different dimensions and different sides of what is possible. When I say the word church to you, how do you define the word church? So in my mind, there's two definitions of church. There's the communal aspect. You know, it's best example I can think of that is if you ever listen to uh, Charlemagne's uh, Brilliant Idiots, he has his church talk that he does on every episode where he's just talking about community news. And in, in that sense, I look at church as the brotherhood of people who were listening and the brotherhood of people who were there. So the collective of the community. And then you also have your standard approach to church, which is a building, a steeple, you know, with your priest in there with a solid mission on there. So when I first kind of fell into omniism, I was trying to find a good way to define that, but there's the easiest approach I have found is, you know, in Japan and certain Asian countries, there are a lot of people who hold two faiths. You know, they have their standard faith and then they have their communal faith. So with omniism, I see it more as a new approach to spiritual community. Just because, you know, we live in such a huge world today, like just in the part of Atlanta I live in, I, you know, just on my street, there's so many different faiths that are there. You know, so many different faiths are represented. And a lot of times it's just great to be able to share that faith and have that community sense, you know, with anyone around you. So for the, the way I would approach Omniism as the church is more about the community and the way that we share faith with each other versus the way that we bolster one faith in a building. That's a good answer. It, it's, it harkens back to this idea of a community gathering where people can get together and solve problems and talk about things. And it seems to me that there's a, there's a, almost a recipe for destruction in churches. And that recipe is like one part, lots of money, one part power. And it seems that when churches grow to a certain size, like these influences just coalesce and it corrupts the very foundation of the, what the church was built on. Like how, what is the church's strategy for making sure that those things don't happen? You know, honestly, we, we try to stay open and transparent as possible. You know, you can go online, you can find our EIN, you can look us all up. We're not hiding anything. You know, we've just recently started asking for donations. We're not really going out there. If you look at any of the, anything we put up, we're not preaching a prosperity gospel. You know, I hate that. I hate the prosperity gospel crap. And that's just been something that's bothered me to the core of my being. It's, you know, I'm a, I'm an ex used car salesman. I'm probably one of the better salesmen you'll run into. And if, if I wanted to, I could go and I could get on GPP or I get on public television. I could really start hitting people for the donations. I could Billy Graham it out, have <laughs> AC in my dog house and have a private jet. But that defeats the whole point. I mean, and I'm not trying to, bash on any particular pastor or priest, priest ending point, but spirituality and community healing and community engagement should never be about the money. And if you look at any of us in the church communism, we're not rich. We don't have private jets. We don't have AC in our dog houses. And we are honestly just more, more, more some of the most curious people you'll ever meet. We, we have a great sense of humor. I mean, get on our website. We're making jokes about Kool-Aid because obviously we look like a cult. We're not. We're not. <laughs> <laughs> you 
Yeah, I mean, it's, and I've had some interesting people approach since, you know, I started with the church, you know, I had a company that wanted to talk about wafers and all that, but we're not looking to sell out. Personally, I haven't made a single dollar from this. You know, there's not anyone within our church who's making a killing on this. You know, the founder of our church, he lives on a very modest budget. I live on a very modest budget. I mean, we all do, but we've all been in this spiritual fight and this spiritual educational mission for a long, long time. And you know, it's, I, I really do appreciate some of the opportunities I've gotten, some of the conversations I've just gotten to have. Cause I mean, in the last little bit, I've gotten to talk to people who were very, very passionate about their Islamic faith. And we can all find a common ground between my awkwardly Jewish self and, you know, some of the people I've spoken to, we find common ground in Abraham. You know, I start speaking to people who are Buddhist and we can find common, you know, common com- commonalities just in the moments of serenity we find in meditation. So if you speak to anybody who's a member of this church or who works with this church, you'll see, we don't want to tell you what to believe. We don't want to tell you what you're believing is wrong. I mean, honestly, I would love to learn anything I can from somebody who's willing to take the time to sit down with me. And that's what this is about. It's a learning experience for the community. And just, we happen to have came around at this time, the psychedelic Renaissance and these entheogens do bring a lot of spiritual opening and spiritual connections together so it just seems like the right time and the right place for not necessarily a new religion but a new approach to spirituality yeah i really like the way you said that a new approach to spirituality is is something that i think is desperately needed and it's been something that's been maybe either hijacked or taken away from people and people are urgently finding a need to reconvene in that space. And it seems that psychedelics do bring about this, this need for connection. And if you look at the way mushrooms grow, for instance, like they're always connecting new parts together before they have a new fruit coming out. And it does seem, is that, would you say that psychedelics are something that what's the church's attitude towards psychedelics? So officially, we recognize the benefit of the sacrament, Mm. you know, and as there's a lot of other churches that are pushing for their sacramental rights. I mean, we're doing everything we can legally and and we're doing that as privately as possible. So personally, I can say with psychedelics, I see barriers get torn down. I see the ego get torn down and I see when people are on psychedelics and people are using these entheogens and they're using these sacraments, I see the bare soul and the, the essence of humanity in that. And there's something beautiful about being able to say, hey, you know, look at this world that's constructed around us. Look at all these bougie illusions that we put up. Look at all the crap that we've done to, you know, bolster our own identity. And let's take, you know, a molecule, let's take a sacrament, let's take these entheogens and let's tear this all down to where we are just in the bare essence of our humanity. And let's share that moment because there's something that you can find in those moments of what would be perceived weakness and perceived, you know, just perceived weaknesses. There's so much strength in that when you can go and you can take these entheogens and you can say, hey, I feel comfortable enough to tear down everything and make myself bare to share everything is when when I say you see true divinity. I like that. You know, it's perceived weakness sounds a lot like vulnerability to me. And it seems to me that the only way we move forward through our individual lives or through a community or through a state or a country or 
a, a spiritual endeavor is to become vulnerable. And, you know, regardless of which faith people practice, it seems to me that the Ariadne thread that runs through them is this idea that there can be no salvation without sacrifice. And that, to me, that means that we must be willing to sacrifice some of our ideas that may not be healthy for us. And maybe they're healthy for us, but not other people. And that's the sacrifices that I kind of see when I was reading through some of the church literature. Like you guys are calling for a lot of celebrating creativity. And I think that that is something that people can come together and do. And I, I think that there's, there is sacrifice in creation. And I'm wondering, what do you think the relationship is between sacrifice, salvation, and creativity? I know that's kind of a big question, and you can take it however you want to, but I think that there's there's some things in there that would help amplify some of your ideas. No, no, and that's a, that's a really great question. I mean, honestly, with salvation, you have to sacrifice something. And I can personally say I've sacrificed a lot in the last couple of years just to have my salvation of sorts. Sure. But to be able to go and find this community and be able to go and say, hey, we're working towards a collective good and we're working towards a common good. You have to give away and you have to sacrifice a lot of your own personal endeavors in this. So with salvation, you know, and I'm trying to make sure I don't step on anyone's you know, face toes by any means, but in my personal belief, salvation or anything that you would find in divinity is just your own spiritual awakening. And the only way that you can truly, in my mind, find your spiritual awakening is to be willing to let go of all the physical tie downs that you have. You know, you can go and you can be focused on getting the new Bugatti. You can be going and focusing on getting the new brand new home. You can be going and focusing on getting the best shares, the best stocks, at the right times. Or you can sacrifice a lot of those things just to see your neighbor get bolstered. Or you can do things to see your community get bolstered. I know. Personally, I've seen a lot of people on the psychedelic renaissance that have sacrificed a lot. I know a lot of people who they're on the front lines of this fight and they're staying in hotels. They are not making a killing. They're not rushing off to get patents on new molecules. And they're going out and they're spreading the word of the benefits they've seen from these medicines or these antigens. So there's a lot of sacrifice that comes in salvation. And what I've loved and what I've found in the church omniism is the ones, the people that, you know, I work with within the church, we are bolstering these, we're bolstering this mission. We're bolstering this fight, but nobody's asked for a single payment. Nobody's doing anything but trying to share the miracles they found in these antigens with the world. And we're only pushing to make sure that everybody that wants access, that wants these spiritual connections and wants a spiritual community has a good resource to go to for it. So, you know, a lot of us in this fight have made a lot of sacrifices and a lot of us have lost a lot. I'm personally grateful to say I haven't lost too much of my freedoms. You know, I mean, every, I know people who've done years and years and years and years pushing this fight. And thankfully, I'm not one of those. So I've seen so much sacrifice on so much on many sides of this fight. And when I say that, I even I have good friends who work for you know, law enforcement and I've seen the sacrifices that they make. You know, this isn't a fight that's on a blue and blue line anymore. This is a fight that's just about humanity. So a lot of us see the salvation in it. You know, I've been blessed to be able to talk to some people in my state government recently about Ibogaine treatments and some of the other 
interesting approaches that we have coming around just in the psychedelic renaissance. So it's been a crazy, <laughs> I could say crazy couple of years, at least a crazy pandemic. So a lot of people on this side have made a lot of sacrifices and hopefully all those sacrifices end up to be the salvation of a lot of hurt people. Yeah, I, I, I like that. I, I see the same thing happening in a lot of ways. And I, it makes me curious to see the tool that spirituality can be in, in a fight. You know, I, a lot of times you'll hear people say, let truth be your sword and faith be your shield. And when I think about the ways in which spirituality can be, be those things, you know, th what, what do you think that maybe some of the people seeking lots of profits in the world of psychedelics are going to try and manipulate spirituality? You know what I mean by that? Like maybe some people that are, are trying to, to create as much profits as possible. We're going to try to subvert spirituality the same way that powerful people in, in big religions have tried to subvert spirituality. Oh, oh yes. We're going to see that all day, every day. And that's something that we have to, if you're part of this psychedelic community and you're part of this spiritual fight, you have to be aware that is coming. I mean, we've seen it, you know, for hundreds and hundreds of years and anything that's spiritual. And yes, that's going to be the issue that I, I mean, I've personally seen it myself, you know, just in the online community of psychedelics. And I've talked to a few companies where, you know, they want me to kind of be like, hey, buddy, take a look at this product and this product. And, you know, honestly, when there's certain antigens and there's certain sacraments that just happen to pop out of the ground and you want to come to me and say, hey, look, I have modified this molecule just a little bit. And then I put it on thermal pack and it only costs $10,000 to do some therapy and you know you get three sessions with it yeah you know we're going to see people who are going to be you know, saying hey look look at my spiritual greatness and hey look at what i'm doing for the community but by the way please pay all this money for something that comes out of the ground freely or please pay for all this money for something that you can go harvest from you know a root park yeah i speaking to people with the indigenous church just yesterday and you know in my home state some of the issues that they're feeling with that is, you know, as cannabis gets pushed further and further and further, and we're, we're making, Georgia's making some really good progress. I'll say that hands down before I say anything bad. Yeah. But the indigenous getting left out, you know, if we're, if we're going to acknowledge that they have the right to the sacraments and they have the right to the cactus and they have the first right to the soil, you know, I'm speaking with people of the church and they're not getting one of the first rights to grow, you know, on this soil. So, and the people I've spoke to with that church, they're not looking at it in a profit way. They just say, hey, this is what my ancestors have done. This is what I'm doing. And I want to continue to take this message out. So, you know, I'm not going to say anything bad about the cannabis movement in Georgia because there's a lot of great people on that fight. But right now we're watching the profiteers go up, fall, and, you know, just keep hitting the wall. And that's what I will say about the community around psychedelics and cannabis and a lot of these entheogens and a lot of the psychedelic renaissance is the ones who you still, who we're going to be here next year, that ones that were here last year are not the ones that are fucking running off and trying to get the patents on the molecules. They're the ones who are trying to say, Hey, if you're going to go this route and this is something you're interested in, I want to help you do this the right way. So that is when I start seeing the people in the community, the ones who are saying, Hey, if you need assistance, I am here for you. Those are the ones I try to gravitate to.
because the ones who are offering assistance before they're asking for money seem to be the ones that have their priorities aligned correctly. Yeah, I, I think so too. I'm, it's interesting to see the way that this is unfolding, you know, and sometimes I see this whole psychedelic renaissance or this reemergence as like a psychedelic trip itself. Like the first wave is like this come up, you know, and we kind of saw like this wave hit and then it subsided. Now we're seeing the second wave kind of hit, you know, like we're, we're a few waves away from peaking, but you know, if I, if I put on, <laughs> you know, it kind of seems like that. And I, when I look mm -hmm. at my, when I look at my, uh, you know, when I, when I try to reimagine what my trips are like and I apply that to what's happening in the psychedelic movement now, I think like this next wave is going to be one of healing. And then the next higher peak is going to be one of optimization. And I'm, I'm hopeful that people that listen to this or that are working their way in psychedelic retreats or are finding a life in psychedelics is that they begin to turn towards optimization as a way to pay for the healing phase of it. Because I think the people that can pay for optimization, your pro athletes, your people that are high energy, high um, achievers that are looking to find ways to solve problems in the world. I think that these people are at a level where they can pay extra money to have the neural feedback combined with, you know, a, a stepped up psychedelic ar arraignment of like ayahuasca one day, psilocybin one day, and then integrate all that. I think that's something people could pay for. And then that same particular institute could use that money to go and use Ibogaine to help get people off the streets. And I, like, I really see it connecting together in a way that the same way like the hyphae grows together. Like I'm like, oh, it's all coming together. I get it. And I, I love the fact that you said the people that are offering help first seem to be the people that have their thoughts together. I, I think that's the pathway forward. I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. What do you think about that? I think that you're a hundred percent right on that one. It's, you know, if you look, you know, ask me 10 years ago, I would never have guessed that we'd be in a position where we could be open about the surge of my views and, you know, even yeah. talking about Ibogaine or I would be in a position to be sitting down with heads of state departments going, Hey, you know, we do have this opportunity here. And it just seems like the collective conscious of everyone kind of clicked and said, Hey, we just survived one of the craziest, you know, instances of humanity ever with the pandemic we're all kind of still sitting here we're all grateful to still be alive and we're all ready to see something good happen and you know i can personally say from my personal experiences that between some of the issues i have from mrna vaccines you know over prescriptions and everything like that i'm living proof that these molecules do bring people back to life if you would have seen me a year ago 200 pounds heavier could barely speak i had to reteach myself to walk self-regimenting with a certain antigen four months i'm back to better than i was before so and it's i've gotten to talk to a lot of people and you know one of the big 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 things that's coming up right now is the homeless issue yeah. and is the fentanyl issue and just recently i kind of did a little research you know down in south florida to kind of see where everything was on that and people who are afflicted with the fentanyl addictions and afflicted with the homelessness, they are all seeking a better connection in healing. And, you know, I'm not necessarily a qualified medical expert on that. Yeah, you know, I'm more of just the hippie kid who does the priestly thing. But a lot of people find real healing and real connection in a lot of these molecules. So 
I think after everybody survived everything that we did, we all kind of were worried about flus and everything like that. And we're all kind of seeing these tangible, real results with a lot of these anthenogens. And we're starting to see a lot of the problems coming up. I mean, it's just one of those domino effects where we're like, oh, wow, maybe the problem the whole time was truly the answer. <laughs> Are you trying to say that we're running from the very thing that would free us, Steve? Is that what's going on over here? <laughs> just a little bit just a little bit but i wouldn't say we're running from it because i mean personally there's a there's some things i can't necessarily talk about just yet just because it's been a crazy little year but for the fact that me and you were talking and i'm sitting here and you can see there's not a prison cell behind me i'm outside you know i'm not on any government bondage by any means i can personally say we've made some really great progress recently and you know it's kind of hard to deny that there's a lot of good benefits of these molecules it's just you know right now you have to get past all the people trying to profiteer on it you know because it's like you like you were bringing up if profits come first in this we'll never see any movement on it you know and at the end of the day we also have to worry about responsible use and safe and also safe supply because you know personally i don't suggest anybody just go willy-nilly into any psychedelic experience on their own without the proper support network and without the proper testing without a lot of things you know i'm a psychonaut i've been going at this for 20 years you know one way or the other and it's you know helped me overcome a lot of traumas but not everybody's gonna have the same experience i had and you know i wouldn't wish a lot of the negative experiences i've had in this area on a lot of people I'd love to share the positive benefits I've had, but there's also been a lot of downsides that have come from the legalities. So, you know, we have to find that mix between profitability and, you know, community growth. And that's kind of, I think, where the next few years are going to lie. There's been some new devices and, you know, brain-computer interface. There's some new technologies. There's some new software coming out I've taken a look at that just seemed great where you can have a very small investment and do the proper monitoring of, you know, yourself through these psychedelic experiences. And we have to find that balance because, you know, with artificial intelligence, with some of the newer, you know, breakthroughs we're having with medicine, even law, there's ways to do this yourself safely with the right community. And they're coming out and they're coming to market. So, you know, personally, and, you know, as for the church, we're not suggesting anybody go buy anything. We're not suggesting anybody go buy certain chemicals. We're not saying get online and do anything like that because, you know, honestly, you can't trust everybody selling anything online. But if you sit back and you pay attention and you see who is pushing for the community betterment and you see and you give it the time, you'll see the right way to go in these areas. Yeah, that's really well said. It's it's about responsible use and healing and the relationship they have towards each other. And I want to talk a, a little bit more about this idea of relationships because I I think while we often hear about sacraments and church and government regulations, what people never talk about, or at least not that often or not enough, is this idea that what we're seeing in the psychedelic space is this building from the ground up. Like if you look at the Fademan protocol or some of the work that he's done, we're really seeing the science, at least some of it being farmed out to the people on the front line, some of the psychonauts, some of the people that have been in the game for, you know, 50, 60 years. And you're seeing a lot of like citizen research happening. And that there's a relationship to 
building from the ground up found in the church, found in spirituality. If we go back to the beginning of a lot of communities, no matter what part of the world you're in, you saw a relationship between community, spirituality, building a government. And so that leads me to my next question, which is what is it like for someone who is now in the spiritual community going and sitting down with a state leader to talk about laws, to talk about what could be for healthcare, to talk about solving the homeless problem? How are you received by the government officials being an official from a spirituality place? You know, this is um, my experiences with that have been very minimal, but they have been, mm-hmm. you know, amazing on that. And I got to sit down with someone from our from my state uh, behavior behavioral health department, and we were kind of going over some of the, you know, we did get awarded like six hundred and thirty six million dollars from the opioid settlement. And, you know, just having the chance, you know, with my educational background and you know, just some of the, my life experiences to even have that amazing. And, you know, just being able to say, hey, look, you know, Mexico is doing great things with Ibogaine. You know, you can look at some of the treatments. We're looking at very low cost cost on there. And just to have the opinion heard and just to be treated as someone who matters in that is an amazing experience. Because honestly, as being someone who is essentially raised by the states, you know, from a very young age, I've seen the way that these contracts go out and they get farmed out, you know, I mean, I don't even want to get into the way that foster children are farmed mm. because they, they are like no other. And I think that if we had not just had the pandemic, if we had not just seen all the fraud that we've seen, because I mean, if you start looking at the states that are still trying to claim pandemic dollars and their fraud, that's just being found everywhere. I mean, state employees that were collecting pandemic uh, unemployment while still on the clock, I think a lot just kind of got brought to the surface. And I think a lot of people's intentions are now fully known. I mean, you got Big Brother, you got the American Surveillance State, you have all the you know aggregation of everyone's personal data and you can't change that, you know? I mean, like if the government wants to know what you've been looking at online, they hit a button and they know what you're really about now. And I think, you know, we can be afraid of this advancement and this honesty that's coming out or we can embrace it. So. You know, it's been amazing to have the conversations I've had. I, it's not like yeah, I got approved for anything. It's, but you know, for me to be able to go from targeted under you know government investigations at a younger age, you know, for what would be considered you know activism today, to being able to sit down and say, hey, why not ibogaine? Why not disomorphine? Why not a kratom taper with tianapine in there? Mm. And to be heard, you know, there's there's answers there, and I hate to say that maybe the old problem is the best solution so it's it's been interesting but like i was saying earlier and the people in the government and the people who are really trying to help people they see the difference from the profiteers and the people pushing for community betterment and i know i haven't asked for a dollar yet my church hasn't asked for a dollar yet we just asked for you know people's attention and their time and i mean that's really what we're pushing for right now is you know Collectively, the church is pushing for everyone's sacramental rights. You know, me personally talking about Ibogaine, me personally talking about disomorphine, those are all my personal opinions that aren't necessarily reflected on the church. But I do see personal, I, you know, I've seen the front lines of the fentanyl fight and it's sick, yeah. you know, and a lot of these people who are afflicted with fentanyl addictions, I you know their, their hang up is the molecular, the molecular hinge, you know. 
they need that to keep going and they have nothing else to really grasp onto. So a lot of what I find spiritual and the way I want to approach a lot of this is kind of based on the 12 steps of AA, just because, I mean, that is a beautiful program, you know, not trying to say that anything about AA today or, you know, tie that in with the church, just those 12 steps are a really good spiritual foundation. And the way that I approach omniism is the same way that, you know, AA approaches spirituality, just understanding that there is a power greater than yourself. So when I have had the chance to speak with people who are afflicted with the fentanyl issues, they see that tangible experience with Ibogaine as something tangible and spiritual. And when I have had the chance to talk to people who do make the decisions in the state, which is not every day, I'm not on anyone's speed dial. It's just, you know, I've had an interesting life. So it's just kind of been a wild ride. I got to where I am now and I did everything I can to make sure, you know, all this wasn't for waste. They're seeing, they're seeing the benefits of that too. And they're seeing the possibilities in that. And then the hard part in the middle ground that we have to overcome in that are the profiteers and the people just trying to make the dollar but we also cannot forget we can't have any of these improvements without them being profitable as well. So I'm not advocating for socialism, communism, or anything like that. Neither is the church. I mean, we're more about compassion and capitalism at the end of the day. But there's going to have to be that middle ground where the politicians and, you know, the profiteers and the activists all come together and say, hey, you know, this is the way we do it. This is the way we make the money. And this is the way we bring it and subsidize it to the people. But I don't think anybody in this fight 15 years ago would have thought we'd be where we are today, where we could be open about these opinions online without having the federal government just swoop that swoop right down on you. Yeah, in some ways, it seems to be the tacit approval of the big boys saying, OK, let's start talking about it. You know, and it, the fact that everybody's at the circle or uh, everybody's has a invitation to the forum to put their voice out there. To me, it means that it's moving forward. And I, I really like this or enjoy investigating this, this road of spirituality and churches in service to solving humanity's problems. Because there's a, you know, there's a there is a uh, framework for it. If you look at, you know, um, like the Red Cross or the Salvation Army, like these particular entities are really big in, in helping fight cancer or setting up treatment centers. And there's no reason why, say, like the Church of Omnism couldn't be or or there's no reason why like the Church of Omnism couldn't be something that set up ibogaine centers or that could be something that worked towards the benefit of healing the problems of the past that people are suffering from. And, you know, I, I do think that there is a lot of commercial potential and there is a lot of evidence going forward that says we could fundamentally change the amount healthcare costs by adding to the solution ibogaine or or you know um psychedelic and psychedelics or entheogens into the mix and if you look at some of the stuff coming out with your story or if you look at the article that was recently in spanner which i think is cody sparks online magazine is you know um this idea that 5-MeO-DMT is actually beginning to show a lot of promise for people with neurodegenerative diseases. Like these things are happening and they're happening on the ground floor. It's, it's back to this idea of citizen science. I'm not saying everybody should go out there and try this, but I'm saying that these experiments are being done in the open for people to see and the medicine is there 
and it seems that there's a a path forward and you can see the results and they seem really positive to me so i'm really excited for the future what what is your um take on the relationship between churches spirituality and potential healing centers so just officially the church we do push for the religious rights under you know sacramental use under responsible adults so we are not officially pushing anything towards healing or medicine at the moment you know personally i do see then me individually i do see a lot of potential with ibogaine and a lot of potential with a lot of these new molecules but officially the church is about independent is about their independent rights of everybody so i just have to make sure that's understood now right we do we do the gens we do support people's you know religious liberties but no i mean 100 percent. you there there has to be a connection you know between all three of those things you know between the community aspect between the healing aspect and between the spiritual aspect because you know with the church under a 501c3 structure or a 501c4 structure with complete transparency you're going to be more apt to see these benefits come up quicker, you know, and you're going to be more apt to see less of the profiteering and you're going to be more apt to see just good human intention under a nonprofit. And when you, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with modern medicine. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the big pharma movement because honestly they have the dollar to make this happen, you know? So I'm not saying there's anything wrong with turning a profit, but if you start looking at, you know, potentially having community centers for, spiritual awareness or spiritual connection or whatever verbiage that works for the situation, you're going to need a nonprofit structure. You're going to need something that's completely transparent. And that's why I fell in love with Omniism and I took this role with Omniism because the last thing I would ever want to be part of is a very exclusive movement. If I had to put on a collar and say, you have to abide by this 100%, read this particular book and if you want my services or you want anything to do with us or kick rocks get on i couldn't be a part of that and that's where when i saw omniism and i ran into the founder of church and we had we had a really long talk and you know we wanted to make sure this wasn't about pushing a particular deity and this wasn't about hey who who late is better and i mean personally since i took this role i've had all kinds of reaching out and we're not i'm not personally selling out the church is not personally selling out but you need this non picture You need something that's transparent if you really want to push a movement to the masses. Like you said, I mean, honestly, like the pro athletes, the people who are making the bigger dollars, the people who can afford to really push the optimization, right. thank them, you know, seriously, yeah. thank them hard. Because you know? not everybody wants to push it like I did. I, you know, I came over some brain damage, you know, by sourcing an antigen online and not realizing I was under that much scrutiny. <laughs> So being able to speak clearly again was enough for everyone to be like, maybe we need to take a, take a, take a minute and listen, but nobody needs to do that because honestly, you don't ever want to take those kind of laws to tax, you know, just, I, you know, I personally say, wait and do it the right way. And the church says, you know, we're just pushing for the application of more rights, you know, under all that. So, you know, there is something there. And I did see that with the structure of omniism. And I did see that with the respect of omniism, because there's just something beautiful about being able to embrace anyone of any faith and say, hey, let's figure out what we have in common first. And then let me let me learn about our differences and let me learn about how we can grow together. 
And doing that under a nonprofit, doing that under complete transparency is going to be the things that take this movement to the next level. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's something that I think is a like a uh, there's something beautiful in values that are contagious when those values are something that make everybody better. And I, on some level, I see this wave of psychedelic spirituality as a sort of light that 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 shows the pathway back from scientific materialism. And I, I think we need that a little bit. I think we lost our way. And I think that there's so many good people out there that are on the front lines, that are in the back and the rear with the gear that are trying to fight and make this world better. And I, I just see it under this umbrella of, of the psychedelic umbrella, that people are really coming together and finding ways to make the world better. And a lot of it isn't artwork. You know, when I was looking through the church's site, it seemed that there was a, a really big push to celebrate artists and different kinds of art. Can you talk about that a little bit? So, I mean, with art, what the beautiful things about art and what I saw in it, what I've talked to everybody with the church is, you know, when someone does art and when someone does something to express themselves, no matter how different the art looks, we're all trying to express the inner feelings that we have, you know, and it's something that's very human and something that's very spiritual is the expression of something internal. So you start looking at the expression of spirituality, the internal feelings that people have of community, you know, I see a parallel and the shared experience with psychedelics and entheogens as well, because that's something tangible that we can say, hey, we both felt, you know, if you and I sat down and we did a, you know, we did a journey together, we both come out of the journey and say, oh, wow, you know, whatever entheogen happened to have been, we shared something there. So, you know, in this experience that we're having now, we're talking, you know, we're expressing ideas, but if we sit down and we create something tangible like art, then we can come back and revisit it. And that's something that's beautiful in the art, you know, it's like you were talking about the Sistine Chapel where you almost see that spark, <laughs> you know, there's something forever there. And that moment and that feeling that you were trying to express with the art, you know, it might be very, very fresh right when you do it, but it's always still there. And that expression is still staying there. So, you know, art is in my mind and a lot of people in the church's mind is just the way that you let your soul escape and you capture that brief moment and you capture that essence of and especially when you have art that can transcend time and transcend messages and transcend languages you know there's something very spiritual about that and the spiritual doesn't have to be religious even if it's a Sistine chapel even if it's a rolling tray you know there's something about the human that captures art man that's really well said you know and it's it seems to be something that you know, you said the word shared experience. And I think that that is something that's been lacking in all of our lives for quite some time. You know, we, we stopped getting away. We started getting away from having shared experiences. It used to be when you read the classics of old that you would see rites of passage, rituals and ceremonies. And in the world that we have gone through up until the point of COVID, those have almost been erased you know, it's it's you see remnants of bar mitzvahs, you see remnants of quinceañeras, and you see remnants of community gatherings. But for the most part, those have almost been stripped from the world that we live in. And it seems to me that this is what people are longing for. And this idea of artwork is that bridge to shared experience is something that 
stands the test of time, like you said, whether it's a picture, whether it's a rolling tray, maybe it's a song that people sing and there's a reminder there. Once you've created a song, once you've created an image, now you have a symbolic reference to time shared that can be passed on. And I think that that's something beautiful about when I was reading through your church literature is that this idea of celebrating the artist, this idea of celebrating the spark of creativity from men and women, the fire and minds of men and women throughout the world is something that we all share and we may not be able to put into words, but we can experience together. And I, I think it's a beautiful part of spirituality. And that's one thing that kind of drew me to, to want to speak to you and the people that you're working with is because it's a beautiful thing. And I... Is there a is there like a particular artwork that you yourself are attracted to? You know, I, I wish there was. I wish I could say, hey, that there's something you know tangible every day that strikes me the same way. But I mean, personally, I've always followed um, lauder art and um, street tablet art, just nice. because you see. Lot. Yeah, I mean, it's there, there's history in that, you know, I mean, you go back and kind of it's kind of got me in some troubles, too. But, you know, that's just it is what it is. There's just something about the counterculture art or graffiti art that I do love because there's I hate to say that, you know, I'm not trying to have that outlaw look about me or anything. But there's just something about moderately illegal expressions of, you know, novel, you know, joking. I, I love. And, you know, so I'm always looking at graffiti art. I'm always kind of checking out the new blotter arts. Uh, you know, I, I, I keep my eyes on the um, lab test of the newer prints. And there's just something, you know, especially having a background in that side of it. That's long past statute limitations. Way covers that. <laughs> but there's just something, there's something, you know, very merry prankster about it. And I, I just, I've always kind of fallen in love with it. So... You know, there's not, I mean, the, one of the artists or the collective artists I follow right now when they do come out is Banksy because, mm. you know, Banksy's hilarious, especially after they drop the, uh, they drop the art through the shredder. It's so deep, but, you know, it's art's kind of war sometimes. So the art I do follow happens to slightly be criminal sometimes, but usually has the best intentions behind it. Yeah, that's, that's well said. I mean, I, I think that, art imitates life. And when you start to see the rebellion in artwork, you know what's in the minds of men and women around the world. And sometimes it's the only way you can thoroughly describe what's happening. And, uh, you know, I, that's another thing too, that I like about the people in the church of Omnium is, is this, you know, I see a glimmer of the trickster deities in there, whether it's coyote or Hayoka, it's this, you know, there's this trickster in there that's or the crow, you know, like I, I love that part of it. And it's, for me, growing up, it was always Briar Rabbit. You know, Briar Rabbit, for those who don't know, was like this kind of like a smart ass rabbit that was just always, a, always up to, he was a good rabbit, but he was always kind of messing up a little bit and, and talking a little bit of smack. And so he was always messing with the wolf or Big Brother. And one day, Big Brother, the wolf catches him and they, he's like, Oh, you could do whatever the Briar Rabbit says. You could do whatever you want. You can kill me. You can eat me. Just don't throw me in the Briar Patch because I was. I, I hate it there. That's the worst torture you could do. Please don't do that. And so, of course, the wolf big brother is like, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw you in the briar patch. So he takes the rabbit and he throws him in the briar patch and he's standing there laughing like, ah, ha, ha, I did the worst thing to you. And briar rabbit just pops up and goes, oh, yeah, by the way, I was born here. See ya. You know, so for me, this idea of the trickster is something that is 
born into all of our cultures. And it's, I think it's been tried to be wiped away because the troublemaker, the trickster is something that authority has disdain for. But inside, I think all spirituality, there is the trickster. And I embrace the trickster and I'm happy to see that he's live and well in the church of Omnism. And I, I do think that street art is something that is to be celebrated. A lot of times in the world of artwork, artwork, we see closed doors. We see some of the best artists, you know, even, even the artists that we celebrate today weren't allowed in the salon back in the day when they were at their height. And so, you know, this idea of artwork being something that is shut out to the people on the bottom is, is, is something that has always inspired the people on the bottom to create even better artwork. So I, I, I love the way in which it rolls together. And I, I love that we're exploring these ideas of spirituality. It's not something that's often seen. And I'm hopeful that people listening to this are getting to see a side of the church that may not be common in the church they grew up with. I think that's a beautiful part of expressing what can be in, in the church's vision and stuff. What about, uh, what is it like? Let's say that someone goes to the Church of Omnimism. What, what do you do there on a Monday? What about a Tuesday? Is there things that people do on different days or is it set up like that? So right now, I mean, mostly what we have going on is our web collective. So we do have some events going on. I mean, a lot of what we're doing right now is prepping for later on. We're starting a uh, role-playing um, tradition. I actually have some good connections here locally with people who love their tabletop games, who are involved with law enforcement. I see a way to do community involvement just because as cannabis gets legalized, as we're pushing some of these ideas, and I'm personally pushing some of these ideas outside of the church, you know, for certain molecules, we're going to have to have community involvement because you can't go in and say, let me disrupt the fentanyl trade and not involve the people, selling fentanyl, you know, without getting shot. There's <laughs> some money. You know, I mean, I, there's nothing there's nothing in the works yet, but there's just there's a lot that goes on with community involvement. So what we're where you're going to find right now, if you get in with us with the church, you're going to find a lot of online forums. You're going to find a lot of online support. But what I would like to say to anybody who's interested in the church of Omniism is you don't have to leave whatever church you're affiliated with. Now, there's not some leap of faith that you have to take. You don't have to cut, you know, do blood brother stuff with anybody. There's nothing you have to do besides be a caring person and respect the other people in the church without coming in trying to convert anybody, you know, and have an open mind and just no sex cult crap. That's we're not trying to do that. That's going to be what kills this kind of a movement. You know, we saw the failures with tune in and drop out, and we're trying to make sure that doesn't happen again today. You know, there, you have to have a very clinical approach and you have to have a very ethical approach in talking about any of these ideas. So, again, you know, the church is not telling anybody to go take any drug or take any antigen. We're not telling you to take your faith and throw it out the window and say, oh, you know, I, you know, and disavow anything you currently believe. We just if you want to if you want to be a part of the church of Omniism, you want to join this community, feel free to reach out. Feel free to be open. Come to us with any questions and understand there's not a deity we're pushing there's not a doctrine we're pushing and if you happen to do voodoo or you happen to be anything from a satanist to a Sethian to a jew we want you there too just because sometimes having the faith community is great and having the stories you can share you know communally is great but sometimes it's just it's a beautiful experience to be able to sit down with someone of a different faith and find commonality in an experience so you know, this is a newer idea. This is a newer approach to something older. 
But the closest thing I've seen to this before was in the structures of the 12 steps of AA. And that's just an acknowledgement of a, high, a power greater than yourself and understanding the community comes before yourself. Yeah, I think the founder of AA had done some groundbreaking work with LSD. Do you, have you heard about that? Yeah, so if you um, if you go to the big book and you go to Bill's story, um, in all the current prints, it says he did a Belladonna experience. But if you go and you find one of the original uh, stories of the big of the big book, he actually took LSD in the hospital to treat his alcoholism. So, in the early days of AA, he was a very big proponent of taking LSD once a month to uh, fight off the urges of alcoholism. So, I mean, it's if you get into the truth about Bill Wilson, he was a very great man, and there was a lot of things he did that were not included in the modern day AA literature. But he was a very, very big proponent of LSD uh, treatment towards alcoholism. You know, it seems weird to me when you, when when we talk about that, like we see a pattern with traditional religion. It's like they want to remove the sacrament from the service, and when you do that, you kind of re remove the healing, right? Isn't that kind of a weird pattern there? You know. It is a very interesting pattern. I mean, it's especially if you really get into looking back at the long-term history of most churches. You look at the early Christian church, there's talk There's talk about the use of Selma and different plants. Mm -hmm. You get to almost every religion, core of it, yeah, there's sacramental use. And, you know, over the, you know, the thousands of years we've been doing this and everybody's been practicing religion, you know, everyone's kind of shied away from sacramentals. So... I, I wouldn't personally say that, hey, there's some big conspiracy out there right. from any major religion or body trying to stop people from moving forward with anything. Just because personally, from my experiences in the Bible Belt recently and having my opinion be heard and, and a lot of other people's opinions being heard, everybody's very pro changing something. It's just right now, everyone wants to make sure we change it the right way this time. So we don't have another failed renaissance because I don't know if, if we do this the wrong way this time, I don't know if we'll ever be back to this point again to where we can say, hey, no, oh, this is right, this is right, and this is right on a spiritual level. You know, because I mean, they tried to do this in the 60s. They tried to get here in the 70s and they shot it down. And we're kind of back at a point where it's more clinical. And I mean, you just get on LinkedIn. I mean, <laughs> you know, the medicine's yeah. there. Look at maps. I mean, maps has done so much amazing things for 40 years now. You know, this is a lot of work in progress. So, yes, there's, you know, if you get to certain people and certain religious groups that maybe preach certain prosperity gospels, they don't want to see some of this happening because they would rather have a monopoly on the spiritual feeling and the community feeling, you know. And that's probably a very small, small, small minority of the spirit of the people and spirituality and religions today. So, you know, I want to make sure that's blatantly understood. The church of omniism is not pointing at any religion saying you're doing this wrong and you're doing this wrong and you need to do this differently. We're looking at every institution and we're saying, Hey, teamwork, let's do this together guys. And we just try to have a sense of humor about it. Yeah. That's a, that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful part of it. I was listening to, uh, um, Gabor Mate, I probably pronounced that wrong, Gabor Mate's recent interview with him. And one of the things he was talking about is this idea that we, one of the 
the things we take ourselves so seriously. Like, you know, it's like we think that we are like this. We must be serious. This is a serious thing. Be serious. And like, and a lot of times you should be serious, but to forget your sense of humor in a world, you know, a world without humor sounds like a prison to me. And it, it seems that on some level, people have stripped humor from the communities that we're into. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to, uh, I talked to a lot of people from Oregon and from Colorado that are, you know, experimenting with these new ideas because the laws have been changed there. But I don't get to talk to a lot of people from the Bible Belt. How is this world of emerging psychedelics and entheogens being thought of in the Bible Belt? So what I can say personally without stepping on right. over two lines on this is publicly – we're not California publicly. We're not Colorado and publicly we're not Oregon. You know, if you're in this state and you're seeking something like that, there are means to these, these, uh, antigens that aren't necessarily illegal, that aren't necessarily highly promoted. But I will say for someone my age with my educational background to be able to sit here and say, and talk to some of these people, we are making those strides. You know, we are acknowledging, that, hey, there are some benefits, you know, just some of the experiences I've gone through that hopefully I'll be able to be more open about in the next coming years or so. Yeah. Just for me to be able to say, hey, look, I just consumed this infinogen. Let's all look at me and see how this goes. We're making those strides. It's just we have to keep, you know, we do have our political base here. You know, we we are a very red state. You know, most of the Bible Belt's a very red area. But the commonality that I've found and the support I found in the Bible Belt in this community is we are all against some of the issues we're finding in the new black market with fentanyl and some of the other issues. So the common thread that I've found in the psychedelic movement and a lot of this going forward is a hate for fentanyl and as yeah. a hate for some of the issues that we're having in there. So I've had a chance to talk with people who are faith leaders. I've had a chance to, you know, do all that. So it is a little bit new for the Bible Belt. But we are coming together. We are being in a community about it. And, you know, my door hasn't been kicked in yet. So, I mean, there is there is hope. There. Yeah, it's interesting to think about. That makes me think about the different stigmatization of drugs. You know, when you think about like a junkie or somebody like you think about someone who's on heroin or fentanyl or some some sort of you know, crossbred amphetamine with a disassociative or something like that. You know, I'm wondering, you know, when we look at the world of stigmatization and the world of drug use, do you think the percent, like, obviously you said the perceptions are changing about the ideas of certain psychedelics, but what do you think are the stigmatizations that we could get away from that would make it a little bit better? Or do you think that there's a strategy to get away from stigmatizing mental health and drugs? You know, honestly, it's going to take everybody being able to be completely honest about their personal drug use and, you know, their motivations behind it. Just because, you know, right now, you know, especially in the Bible Belt, we do have a lack of primary care physicians. We do have a lack of psychiatrists available and we do have a mental health crisis, you know, and what a lot of people call mental health issues could be untreated ADHD, untreated depressions, you know, untreated trauma. And, you know, personally, I see the stigmatism coming from 
you're going to someone licensed to treat your issue or you're going to someone trusted in the community to treat your issue. You know, I, I am from Georgia, so I do happen to know a lot of people who do use black market amphetamines. I don't myself, but a lot of these people do not want to go to the psychiatrist. I, I mm -hmm. went down that route and it wasn't the best route for myself just because you get red flagged all the way up to treat their ADHD instead of going to the psychiatrist and getting having to jump through the hoops of doing all that. They treat their ADHD with black market amphetamines. I'm not saying that's the way to go, but you there's where the stigmatization comes from. Yeah. You look at the guy who's mixing a couple crystals into his into his coffee in the morning. He's a drug addict. You find the college kid who's, you know, popping 100 milligrams of Adderall for the finals. They're they're a dedicated student, and where <laughs> they're so ground in that, you know. So I can see why the person who takes the black market, you know, route because they don't want to have their personal file flagged with all the uh, prescriptions goes that route. I'm not saying that's the route to go because anything you do with a black market supply, you don't know exactly what you're getting. So never go that route if you don't have to. But you know, th that's kind of where the stigmatization lies. I mean, I can personally tell you, uh, you know, I, I've taken a lot of Kratom and I still do take a lot of Kratom to treat some of the sports injuries I've had because honestly, with my background, if I go to a, you know, a primary care physician and I'm like, dude, my knee's blown out and my shoulder's all messed up and you know, I might need something for my pain. They're going to look at me and give me some Advil. So, you know, I've, I've been leaning towards Kratom, you know, for, for my pain treatments. So it's, it's a really tight rope to walk in, especially with the lack of medical professionals available, the lack of, you know, mental health professionals available, and the way that we have a lot of these very common chemicals scheduled. You know, and you can go right to the store right now. You can get all the alcohol you want, which alcohol is not necessarily the best treatment for anything. But if you wanted to have something to pick up your energy to help treat your ADD, you had to go through all the red tape. So personally, it's the means to get the medicines or the chemical solutions you see that might work for you as where I, I see the stigmatization going. Because at the end of the day, it's you go to the doctor, you know, back in the pill mill days and they pump you full of Oxycontin, you're a patient. You go to someone on the street and you buy your Oxycontins, you're a junkie. So it's really about who it's really about it, whether you have the prescription or not for a lot of it. But then, you know, like I said before, I'm not I'm not a medical expert on that one, but that's where I do see the that line being drawn. OK, so if we stay on that train of thought, you know, the Adderall versus, you know, the guy that gets a little bit of glass or something like that. You know, and you have the the Oxycontin from the doctor versus the the stuff on the street. Doesn't it seem like there could also be that same divide with psychedelics? Like <clears throat> the guy with the money can go get a treatment. The guy on the ground, he has to go buy something illegal. Is that is that a possible outcome? Oh, oh 100%. Because we do have the ketamine treatment available down here in the South. And I've looked at them. And, you know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the ketamine treatments. such as personally for me, NDMA antagonists just aren't necessarily something I'm looking to explore. But the price point is, it blows my mind. It blows my mind. Because it's we're looking at thousands and thousands of dollars for a few treatments when, you know, we go back to talking about my friend Swim and, you know, what he was doing back in the day. It's that much money, <laughs> much capital, put those same You know, you're looking at a couple ounces. So, you know, it's, it is, 
it is about the profiteering and it is about the sourcing on that one and yeah so it's we have to we have to find that middle ground and it's um i was recently watching a really good podcast i had rick uh, doblin on there you know from maps and you know they're talking about the uh, mdma uh fda trials coming out and he had a really good point you know we do have to make sure you know as those things come out that the proper avenues for therapy are there but we also have to make sure it's affordable and we can get these benefits to the people so right now it's i mean it's we are an amazing point in society where you know folks like us can sit here and go well you know yeah. these treatments are all expensive but you know that means we're getting somewhere i mean the fda said 24 months for psilocybin and mda to go through their trials you know 15 16 years ago i was doing full semester um you know presentations on the benefits of mdma and you know train and trauma therapy and getting laughed at in my class like oh drug addict now we're really getting there so i mean it's honestly it's a beautiful day when you know we can sit here and be honest about faith collectives and our sacramental rights collectively being bargained and in another turn say hey let's talk about the escape of new medicine and let's talk about what is actually cost effective and what is actually going to make a change you know i wouldn't <laughs> 15, 16, 17, 20 years ago, I had a bumper sticker on my truck that said drug laws create criminals. And I was wondering why I kept getting pulled over. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And now we're sitting here and these opinions matter. And it's a, it's a beautiful day to be a part of. It's just, we have to do, we have to make sure on the spiritual front and the people who are doing this on the medical front, and the people who are doing this on the legal front, that we're doing this the right way the first time. And we're not just jumping out willy-nilly because that's what will screw up a movement and screw up the progress that we have right now nobody needs to see another tune-in dropout yeah that's well said and i i think that there is some crossover between what you're doing at the church and accepting everybody in and not only accepting everybody in but inviting everybody in and the same way you spoke about big pharma the 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 guy at home that's a practitioner and all the different heads of state, whether they're state or local or, or government and the guys that are, that have been working on it for years. It, it seems to me that that same message that you guys at the church are amplifying is the same message that we need to the community to solve all the problems there. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And you know, that's why I fell in love with the church of Omniism because, you know, I had some interesting personal trials and tribulations of sorts. And it's, you know, my passion was kind of seen and, you know, I, I kind of had some nice nudges towards, you know, spiritual work. Right. And I didn't want to exclude anybody in this. And yes, I've been very, very vocal for the last 20 years about the benefits I've personally gotten and the trauma I've personally gotten over with the use of antigens. And, you know, being an ex foster kid from the state of Georgia, I've had plenty of state involvement in my life. And the whole time I've been like, hey guys, let's take a look at this. Look, it's working. You know, I'm not curled up in a ball, you know, falling somewhere. But the church is really here for the community's sake and is for the sense of community. And the, with the church, we're doing everything we can to legally and correctly go about sacramental rights and use of antigens. So I just really have to make the distinction between what I personally am talking about, my personal opinions on potentials of advocate treatment, some of these other things, and the church's mission of community engagement and community involvement. 
which I mean, the church is a very beautiful, beautiful means to teach some of these things because it's, you know, I've known a lot of people who are Catholic who don't necessarily want to go talk about how they feel about certain ethnogenic use at, you know, mass. And, you know, you can reach out to somebody here at the church and we will love to have this conversation with you. And, you know, being a priest with the church, I can and we do respect privilege. So, you know, we're not trying to start a new religion. We're not walking around putting collars on. I'm not going to hand out a hand out a donation basket and say, hey, cough it up. Now, if you like what we're having to say, we would love some support. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> we could use all the support we can get. But we're not telling anyone to go do a certain sacrament or a certain ethnogen. We're saying, hey, come to us and be part of a community and bring what you can bring to the table. And we'll bring what we can bring to the table. And we can do this the right way together. Because it's together we get something done. And, you know, it's like when I'm talking to my friends at the Indigenous Church, you know, mm -hmm and I'm talking to people who are lions of Judah and I'm talking to anybody else, the days that, and everybody has the same thing, you know, I am, and they want to express their beliefs. And what I keep telling them is there's no more. I am. This is the days mm -hmm. that we are, mm -hmm. and we are going to table together and we are done asking individually for our rights just because why should one church have the rights and then another church have to come in, you know, UDV, they did a lot of hard work. They've had their doors kicked in, you know, so is the Native American church. I mean, we've got all these people who say, hey, this is our right. This is guaranteed to us. I mean, through our creator and through our beliefs, why should why should we all sit separate? But, you know, with the church, we're doing this the correct way. We're doing this the legal way. And, you know, I will have to say to anybody who is watching, please quit reaching out to me, trying to sell me drugs online. <laughs> That's not what we're about. We're about people finding the community together. And if you do find divinity and ethnogenic use, we'd love to hear about your experience. Yeah, it's it's such a good message. I I love the idea of getting rid of I am for we are because it you know if you if you look at the Buddhist tradition the the idea of I am is that which attaches you to anything. The moment you say I am something, you're attached to something. But when you talk about we, you know, it, it alleviates this idea that you're a single individual, this idea that, you know, you, you are, you, sometimes I believe my personal opinion is that you don't come into this world, you come out of it. And when you start beginning thinking like that, at least for me, it's been a way to see a transformation in my life that has allowed me to live a life it's fuller. It's allowed me to become a better version of myself. I want to talk just real briefly too about, are you, are you doing okay on time? Am I keeping you too long? I know you probably have some things to do, but I had another question I wanted to throw your way. I got a little bit more. A little bit more. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that. So I think it's important to, to bring about this idea that some of the best people, whether it's in a corporation, a church, or being a mentor or in government are people that have lived experience. And that's why if you look back at different, like different apostles, whether it's Paul or, you know, if you read Siddhartha, then you can see that the people who have come to be good mentors are people that have lived a life that was full of trauma at some point in time. And as, as I'm talking to different people on my podcast, I recently spoke with a, a um, Renee Rosenman, who is, was a podcast called the unlikely face of addiction. And she told her story about being in her forties and having a schizophrenic son and how she found her way out of addiction. 
There's a great book by Shannon Duncan called Coming Full Circle. And in that book, he speaks about his trials and tribulations. It's a great book. Everybody should check it out. It's called Coming Full Circle. And then speaking to you today, I get to hear about, hey, you know, I used to have this bumper sticker on my car, right? I used to do these things. And you know, the, maybe the reason you're such a good advocate for doing the things you're doing is because you went down a road and were forced to find your own salvation. And now, now in that salvation, in those trials and tribulations, you were given the lived experience that other people can listen to and take gems from. So what is, what is your opinion on this idea of people becoming unlikely heroes in their, in their own journey and being able to preach to other people? You know, it's one of those I've kind of tackled with for a long, long time. And it's our kind of thinking back. Okay. If you look at Dante's Inferno, you look at the divine comedy, I, the overall message in that is, you know, the truly righteous have had to gone through hell themselves to be able to preach or speak on a mission like that. So you go through some of the things that anyone goes through. And I mean, honestly, any, uh, most people on this spiritual front or on this anthropogenic front, like you said, have had a lot of traumas, you know, I'm not trying to do a child called it right here on the podcast today, but there is plenty. But you can't, I, I think it's very hard to go through those experiences, come out positive and not find something spiritually grounding. I remember um, right as I first uh, became an adult and I was leaving the States, the States care, I did go and do some follow up. And I would tell them, look, guys, yeah, it's very surprising I'm not crawled up in a mental institution right now, but it's because of this infinogenic use and this infinogenic use. And I will say, you know, I do live in the Bible Belt, and, you know, Georgia's not necessarily known to be California or Colorado, but I'm still here and they're still listening. So, you know, we're at a really beautiful point in our society right now where, you know, some hippy dippy stuff like myself and some trauma laden stories do have the chance to push a very positive mission. And, you know, I, I'm grateful for, for the experiences I've had because I would rather be here where I am today saying, Hey, look at what helped me get here and look at what I did overcome and look at what we can do together versus a profiteering standpoint where I'm sitting back going, oh, wow, there's a lot of promise in this new product. Let me get on board and let me get the right salesperson on there and let me push this right molecule. You know, it's it's a beautiful it's a beautiful thing to say, hey, look, I come from a world of pain, but I do find something that brings healing. So it's essentially just finding something good and something even in the most horrible things, you have to continue to find something good. And a lot of people who've experienced a lot of trauma continue to do that. So, I mean, it's, it's a blessing to be able to find something positive, especially with a background that is covered in a lot of negative. Yeah, that's, I, I think that that is something that I have found admirable and all the people that I hold in high regard is this idea that they've gone through like this mini apocalypse and I, and I got good news and bad news for everybody. The good news is, or the bad news is, that you may not have gone through a mini apocalypse. And the good news is, you're going to go through a mini apocalypse. <laughs> you know, I think that... Um, <laughs> and when I look at the world that we're in today, 
I think that it's, I often say things like, and I talk to people who use this same phrase as as above, so below. And I think that those of us who have already gone through are going through or about to go into this mini apocalypse, you can see it manifesting in society. And so as it kind of gives you the courage to know that, hey, there's a brighter day coming for those people that have been through this apocalypse in their own life. They have the foresight to understand, yes, it's going to be painful, but I've been through this before. And I think that that's what lends people the power to have words that land in the minds of the others. It's like they're speaking from a point of lived experience. And I think that I just wanted to bring that up because I see that in the story you tell. And I see that in the book that Shannon wrote. And I see that in a, in a lot of the guests that I've been speaking with. And it's just it's interesting to begin to see there's certain things playing out that have been being told to you for a while. I don't know if that makes sense, but I wanted to, I wanted to share that with you. No, it makes perfect sense. And that's something that's, that's been a beautiful part of uh, what a lot of people I've got to meet. It sounds like a lot of people you've got to meet is, you know, a lot of us that are here pushing a lot of this that aren't sitting here with a, you know, skew scan be like, Hey, buy this product. Yeah. You know, we're coming from a point of a lot of pain. But we're coming, typically when you see us talking, it's we're happy people or, you know, flowing to some degree. And it's not because of a single molecule, not because of a single evidentogenic use. It's because of a community that's been embracing these kinds of experiences. I mean, you know, in my personal opinion, the rapture is truly someone's own spiritual awakening, you know. And I can say that I found my own spiritual awakening years and years ago and it was a very horrible spot to end up in you know i wasn't at the best point but i did find community and i did pull myself back out of it so you know anyone who's listening that's in a rough spot i can tell you personally dude if i'm still sitting here and i'm still talking to you and it's not on a prison phone call there's hope Just, you got to do it the right way and you got to be you got to stay positive yeah that's well said it's I think that that is a great way to look at the rapture or look at a spiritual awakening is finding the courage in yourself to take that next step. You know, we've probably everybody I've spoken to has known someone that has died from fentanyl or died from poor decision making on some level, be it, you know, be it the scars from abuse or self-loathing or whatever it is. Like we've all known someone or probably multiple people that have, have that are no longer with us. And I think it's important to note that just that one step forward every day, if you can make yourself 1% better, if you just wake up and say something like today, I'm be 1% better. And that 1% is me going outside and sitting in the sun. That's me going for a walk. Whatever that 1% better is, is the idea that you can make your life better by 1% every day. In 100 days, you'll be 100% better. In 300 days, you'll be 300% better. And pretty soon you're going to be the light that shines on the path for other people to move forward. And so it's, it's awesome. And I, I really am enjoying this conversation and I think it speaks volumes of the people you're surrounding yourself with. So I hope people take the opportunity to go and look at the links in the show notes. And as we're kind of landing the plane here, Steve, I want to give you some time to, to maybe if you were going to summarize what it is about your journey and, and what the church would really hope to see happen in the future and where people can find you, like maybe you could, maybe you could begin on that process. So, I mean, personally, 
you know, I never actually saw myself in a position to be doing a spiritual line of work. And, you know, through a lot of the trials and tribulations that if you want, if, you know, one day, if you want to sit down and have another conversation again, we can get into that. Yeah, of course. Months, months to go into all, <laughs> all that. I can just say that, you know, for the last 10 or 15 years, I've been advocating a lot for foster care rights for, you know, a lot of education. I've been doing everything I can to help make sure that youth coming out of the foster care system don't hit some of the snags and tangles I did because, you know, the trap is not the best way to fund yourself. I can tell you that right now. Yeah. Um, that's just, that's something way, way in my past. So right now, I mean, obviously go to omniism.church. We're very, we're very vocal there. We have a Reddit page. I mean, there's great places to reach out. You know, we're going through a lot of more of the base work that we need to get done to start moving a lot of these things. So in the next year or two years, you're going to see a lot more of us. So, you know, as of right now, we're not trying to go out and make the biggest wakes publicly because we're trying to get the right foundational work done first. So, I mean, if you're on LinkedIn, just look up Steve C. of the Church Omniism. You'll see Inspector Gadget. That's me. And you can always reach out to me there. You know, you can always reach out to me directly to the church's page. And I mean, we're just we're really just trying to build that community first and see where it takes us there. You know, if you have any questions for us, if you have anything, please, please reach out to us. Please do. Because, I mean, honestly, I love talking all day. So, I mean, we're we're pretty open, we're pretty transparent, and we're pretty friendly, you know, and we like to joke. So, you know, as long as you come, come to us in a place of respect, and we will always treat everyone in a place of respect, then you're all, are already a part of the community, essentially. I love it, man. I love it. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I highly recommend you go check out the page. If you want to get a real glimpse of what the Church of Omnibus is up to, if you want to see some of their philosophies. And if you want to see what the future could be like, and you want to see their definition of spirituality, go check it out, go to the link, play around on their page and reach out to them. Cause they're really friendly people. I think they have a fantastic message and um, it, it's really been a fantastic time talking to you today. And I really appreciate it. So that's all we got for today, Steve, hang on a second. I'm going to close down the, the podcast, but I wanted to talk to you after. So ladies and gentlemen, I hope you have a beautiful day. I hope the sun is shining. The birds are singing. I hope you love yourself and you love everyone in your life and the world's preparing a miracle for you. That's all I got. Aloha. All right. Thank you, guys. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone the world is a crazy place and if you listen to your heart and you take some chances i really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine i've been doing the podcast for about five years last year i decided to take the plunge well circumstances dictated that i took the plunge and i did i've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, 
a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.